0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to The Shapes of Stories, a podcast with me, Lawrence Prestige as your host. Stories come in all shapes and sizes, whether it be from our favourite books, our life experiences or the day-to-day challenges and issues we face in the world today. Hello, hello, welcome to another episode of The Shapes of Stories with me, Lawrence Prestige. Um, yeah, really excited um, to share with you our guest today on this episode. It is the wonderful Jess Impiazzi. Um, I really hope I pronounce her second name correctly. <laughs> I was saying to Giles before, and um, the Giles who produces the show, before um, before we um, spoke to Jess, I was like, I'm really worried about pronouncing her second name uh, wrong, but I hope that was okay. Um... Anyway, Jess, um, you may know her from um, X on the Beach, you may know her from Big Brother. Um, I had a really great chat with Jess because she was so open and honest about things and very transparent and um, that was really refreshing and you know, she was open to any kind of questions or anything you wanted to talk to her about. And yeah, it was really great, a really great conversation that I had with Jess. We we got a bit deep at times, I felt. <laughs> but it was um, wonderful, you know, kind of having that conversation with someone that you just meet for the first time right off the bat. Um, yeah, it was re- very interesting. But anyway, Jess has got a new book coming out after the kind of reality TV stuff. Um, I know that she's getting interested in getting into acting as well. She talks about that. But she's actually got a new book coming out um, called Silver Linings. In fact, I think it's out right now. So be sure it might have just come out now. Uh, end of November, end of November. So yeah, be sure that you go out and check it out. Really fascinating book because, you know, we when you have someone that's as open about things and honest project with Jess, she just literally um, is someone that can 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 share. You know, just share that stuff with you, and you know, to share such intense moments with you throughout someone's life is is really you know is 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 a really difficult thing to do. But also really, really important because she's able to talk about um living through her anxiety, her depression, um be, being suicidal, and in going through those things. And you know, she talks. She talks. of you know, she she went through a divorce. She talks about that, and you know, but she talks about behind the scenes of the pop the popular um reality TV shows that she was, and just how um you know the impression that we get when we see those reality TVs. And but yes, um the reality of the reality TV shows, um it's perhaps not all what we think it is, you know, and it's really interesting. But Jess really opens up about how she faced uh, major life cha- challenges, including, um, you know, uh, losing her nephew um, whilst she was in it, well, whilst um, the nephew was in her care. Um, she talks about, you know, that the mental health issues that she's had. And it was just a really interesting chat. You know, it, it's something that I feel like when you can kind of have those open discussions with people, it's really refreshing. And it's, to me, it's better than counselling. When you when you when you're talking to someone that's kind of been through the same shit as you, and you can kind of share those experiences with. Um, you know, me and Jess, by the sounds of it, both had a problem with depression and alcohol, and sort of relying on alcohol to kind of fuel a short term buzz, a short term, a short term happiness. And yeah, you know, you find those conversations really refreshing. You know, it's better than any kind of therapy. I I think just. uh, not that I am trained in that area at all but you know I know my life story and Jess knows hers and you know I suppose it's it's what works for you you know I'm not an expert on mental health or alcoholism and and I'm sure um, Jess would say the same but you you are the expert of your own stories and um, Jess has certainly um, learned a lot from her story so without further ado here is my chat with the wonderful Jess Impiazzi. Um, so how have you been how, how's this year been for you
1: um you know having 2020 being how it's been I think I've managed to hold it together quite well with doing like my book I've been writing and starting a new one and I always think as long as you keep a project going um you can kind of keep your mind occupied I think that's the most important thing
0: mm-hmm. yeah so you've been able to sort of keep productive over this last year
1: yeah I was just giving myself like routines like I'll get up and write a um, a schedule for my day and I think sometimes a bit of routine helps us through stuff because otherwise you can get a bit complacent and think, I'll do it later, I'll do it later and a week later it's not done but if you can kind of put your goals down I normally do write them down of an evening the night before so that when I wake up I know what I need to achieve and that sense of achieving something by the end of the day puts me in a good headspace um, and obviously there's days where you feel like oh, uh, today I'm just a bit fed up but I feel like if you just get that bit of self-discipline and force yourself, I mean, it's good to listen to your body as well and if you need to have a rest, have a rest. But I feel like when, when I have that um, productivity list or things that I want to achieve written down and I tick them off, even if it's small things, you're still ticking something off yeah. that you yeah. wouldn't have necessarily got done and rather than everything feeling like you're on a continuous Sunday, <laughs> it's... um
0: yeah absolutely and it's I guess I guess it's nice going to bed as well looking at that list and being like yes I've done that yeah it's
1: just nice to yeah yeah, Yeah. I I feel like it puts me in a better headspace because then I'm like I I hate the feeling and this is something I need to work on actually is like if I'm not productive all the time I can be really hard on myself and so I'm trying to find a balance of where I can relax without feeling guilty or furious at myself but at the same time I don't want that to be you know something that rolls on and then actually you get in quite a depressive state I feel like if you don't feel like you're doing something or achieving something so there's, there's a balance there but I try now since the lockdown I learned to do like Monday to Friday as if I'm at a normal job doing my work so I'll sit down and do my writing write some articles for my company or my book um, go for a run seeing that we can't use the gyms and I feel like that just keeps me at a in a place where I'm able to keep going and not feel like I'm falling apart kind of thing.
0: Mm -hmm. No, Yeah, I get that. So I mean, how has it been? Because, you know, you spoke out openly about mental health and and depression before. And, um, you know, I'm suffering myself, I've I've dealt with depression a few years ago. And, you know, when it when it was the first lockdown, although I hadn't dealt with depression for a while, it was starting to creep back in again. But I think that's because you kind of dealing with all the things that I would use to kind of keep myself going were all closed at the same time, whether it be the gym, whether it be um church, sure seeing friends or whatever it might be. Um, how's it been for you? Yeah, um, I
1: feel like that it, it's very easy. We use things such as the gym or we're using we, we've all figured out tools that we use to help us with depressive thoughts. And if anything, I found from the lockdown, was that because they were taken away from me, such as the gym, such as seeing your friends and, and all the kind of distractions we use, I was then able to sit and kind of go inwards and learn what it was about me that I hadn't healed yet. Because when I could sit on my own and you haven't got your your tools, you're finding parts of yourself that are not healed. And I think depression comes from parts of our our upbringings, our everything that we've gone through in life and everyone's got a story that something's happened to them to cause these things and I feel like it gives us a chance to sit and go inwards and once you can go inwards and kind of figure out what the things are you can start to heal them and it's not an easy process because healing is probably one of the hardest things ever that I've had to do but I would look at old old traits or old triggers that would make me feel a type of way and now learn to do them deal with them in a different manner because if I hadn't healed them at this point there was obviously something I hadn't healed and I needed to try differently because if we if if we keep going to try and use the same same way we deal with something and it's not worked it's never going to work on the same rotation Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so if we try something new we get a different result so I kind of just sat with the things that I could feel upsetting me and tried new ways of dealing with it um and that kind of helped me as well because it was changing my thoughts and whilst you when your thoughts are changing your life begins to change and if i if i for instance though there's times when i sit here and i'm like oh i'm going out of my mind today i will and i don't want to go for a run i don't want to leave the house but i will force myself because i will think of the feeling after that run for run or walk through the woods i know that Mm-hmm. Whenever I do that, I feel better. So that immediate feeling I have, whereas like I'm fed up, I don't want to go out, I hate my life today and, and all them awful feelings that come rolling in, I kind of try and put a stop because it's a, it's like a snowball, isn't it? it, it go, once you get that thought, it starts going right really quickly into an avalanche. Mm-hmm. But if you can kind of put a block on that, that avalanche and get yourself out or just clear the mind in a positive way your thoughts begin to get a bit better. So what I've learned to do during the lockdown is when I do start to feel that that pain or that hurt come in, um, <clears throat> I will, even if it makes me feel like death because I don't want to go out the door, I will force myself, even if it's raining, I just go for like a 3K walk or a 5K run and for the first 2K I'm probably like, oh, what am I doing? I'm fed up, oh, I don't want to be out here. But by the 4th, f- 5th K... My mood's lightened. And then we, we know that the body produces endorphins when you, you do exercise or you're out in nature. And I'm kind of forcing them endorphins to come in and take over the depressive thoughts. So it's like a it will shift my mind. And because I know it does that, I'll go out and do it. And it's it's a productive um distraction from the depression. I feel like there can be negative distractions which i did when i was in my early 20s i was highly depressed suicidal and antidepressants and i would go out drink 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 and that's all i would do and that was my negative distraction Mm -hmm. and it actually worsened my life but when i found productive distractions whether or not i want to do it i used every ounce of self self self-discipline i had and i made sure i was out and i kind of shifted the idea of discipline because when we're younger we we're told oh you need to be disciplined. It's not. It's like a negative. You're in trouble. You you shouldn't be doing it. But actually, self-discipline to me now is a state of love for myself. Because if I love myself enough not to go and eat twenty pizzas that day because I'm fed up and emotionally eating, I know that I'm actually looking after myself. I'm going to go and make myself healthier food, and actually that's going to make my body feel better, which then helps my mind feel better. Same as if I go for a run rather than having a drink sitting at home, knowing that tomorrow's probably going to be. 10 times worse, because I've got myself in a state, if I go out for a run and do a positive distraction, I'm automatically changing the thoughts and making myself feel better. So it's just it's nice to see it in myself, the switch, because I remember in my early 20s, the negative distractions really, really snowballed to a point where, as I say, I was suicidal. Um, But when I found the new tricks and doing a positive distraction, life started to really go up.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting you say that about alcohol because like I've been through exactly the same thing once I was going through depression. It was for me, um, depression was the short term feeling good feeling. It was the short term buzz and you'd be like, I feel like rubbish. I know that alcohol will give me a short term buzz of being sociable and being able to see my friends and almost be a fun person to be around. But the come down after that for the next few several days, perhaps it could not, not necessarily on a Sunday. I always found that Monday, Tuesday. If I was out on a Saturday night, I might be a bit hanging on a Sunday. But then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I would just be like, "Wow, I'm in a really dark place now." Like from this from this alcohol, and it's it's um, really interesting because you know I think I feel sometimes you always try because you, you know we enjoy going with our friends and having a drink, but it is one of the worst things you can do. I mean, alcohol is a natural depressant, right? So, you know, when you're feeling rubbish and you're drinking alcohol, it just really escalates things. And when I was at my worst as well, in terms of depression and low mood, it was always the worst times when I was drinking, and you you have to almost have a realization that okay, I have to take the negative influences out of my life because it's like you said, you know, when you're repeating the same action. I think there's that quote, isn't there? Insanity is repeating the same actions but um, expecting different results. And you know, running is a natural buzz it gives you like like you say it's the worst thing you want to do when you wake up and you're feeling like rubbish. The thought of a run is horrific, and it's like there's no way I have the the energy. To, to do that there's just no way I can motivate or have the energy to do it but once you start to, you know the feeling after the sort of euphoric feeling you have after you've had a, a good run is is amazing it almost kind of makes you feel alive again you know I I not see any way I can I, I can describe it um so when were you sort of going through your when did you sort of notice you, that you the first depressive feelings that you were having because for me when it sort of when I had my first experience of depression it was like I didn't know what it was I couldn't explain it And yeah, I just, it was like a a pain that that I couldn't really put my finger on. I don't know what it was like Yeah, so
1: mine, it kind of came, there had been a few traumas growing up um, in my early years. So I was completely unaware that I actually had post-traumatic stress disorder at such a young age. Um, I'd witnessed a hell of a lot of domestic violence from a very young age, from about nine, probably maybe younger, nine, ten, eleven, that kind of age. And I was always <coughs> excuse me, I was always on flight or fight mode. So PTSD actually gives you it's a, a symptom of that is depression and I'd have terrible nightmares. I would always be checking everyone. I would never be able to just settle and calm. I struggled at school because I couldn't concentrate, because I was always nervous of everything. Um and in my as I grew up, in my old years, that really <coughs> settled into me as a a real awful depression and I think it came to the forefront when i my nephew passed away and I was looking after him when I was 17 and he was 13 months old and he had meningitis and it that was kind of like the cherry on the top that just exploded everything from the inside to come out and i I, I remember it because I was at theater school and I was 16 I just got into the college um so I was doing the the performing arts school and then I worked really really hard to get this scholarship into the college and i'd i put I loved it so much. It was just something in me. Like I wanted to dance, act and sing all day long. And I was just this spark running around, like loving life. And after my nephew died, I remember I didn't want to go to school. I didn't like going in. I had nothing about me like this. I remember a teacher said to me, the light's gone from behind your eyes. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. I, I couldn't I like, ha- like when you're, I at the time I didn't know what it was, but I just didn't want to, I, I wasn't shy. I didn't want anyone around me. I didn't, I was just in this, Place of it, it, just darkness. That's all I can explain it. And then I ended up leaving theatre school, thinking I could find something, but like to fix this. And all I remember doing was just being in bed all day, getting in the bath as early as I could at night, night time, so that I could go to bed early to sleep as much as I could. But I was so it just felt heavy, really heavy. And it's like going through the woods at night when there's and you've got nowhere to go, you're completely lost. And I just felt lost. And I remember explaining it to someone as, like, I had all these things that I could do, but I couldn't get get anything to to fix me. It felt like a TV that was going black and white, making all that noise. And I'd be kind of stuck trying to think, how do I get out of this? And I would use alcohol. I would go out with my friends, because then I would be fun, Jess. I'd be silly and dance and go crazy. And then, like you said, Absolutely. the next day I'd yeah. have a hangover, and then the next three days was my loop downwards into into depression and then it would just happen again the next weekend and that's how I coped and survived but actually what I didn't realize I was doing was making everything 10 times worse because for me to then build a future I was how can you do that whilst every single day you're just repeating the same cycle but it's hard to break out of it when you're feeling that low um because I I I do remember it just being like there is no way out for me um And that's when I did take an overdose. But, like, I think more of a cry for help because I just there was nowhere to turn. You feel like there was just nowhere to turn. But what the lovely thing is, which I always like to hold on to, is that there is because there's so many people I know, including myself, that have managed to change it around because you've just got to snap them thoughts. And it's like, you know, if you break your leg, it's easy to see. So, you know, you're not going to go, running on a broken leg or do things to hurt it, just as with your yeah. mind, if you're going out drinking, it's the same care that needs to be taken. So your friends need to understand that and not be like, oh yeah, I can't want to have a beer. Actually it's no different to a broken leg. The broken mind is that it needs fixing. So you've got to do the right things for it. So if you're an athlete and you've broken your leg, they're not going to say, Oh I doesn't matter, go for a run, you'll be great. You know it's going to damage you. Whereas if your 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 mind's broken at the time And you're saying, oh, come on, let's go for a beer, it'll cheer you up. It's not. It's no different to saying, go for a run on a broken leg. You need to fix the things before you can start, you know... Some people quit alcohol forever. Like, I I rarely drink, but I know that I'm in a place now where I can go and have a drink with my friends if I felt like it. But I don't feel the need to do it because I'm trying to cover up something else anymore. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's about having that healthy relationship with alcohol, isn't it? And not using it as... I think when you're using alcohol as any kind of dependency to... A coping mechanism, I suppose, to to, to feel a certain way. That's when you've got to really sort of look at it and be like, "Yeah." And I think it's with
1: with so many things that we don't even realise. Like, for instance, people that game a lot, someone that goes on PlayStation Mm -hmm. for maybe like ten hours a day, it's all to cover up something because that is not a positive um, distraction. It can be a bit of fun, just as telly. You can watch a bit of telly and you know enjoy a film, but if you're doing that to a, it's like a pendulum this is why balance is so important if we're at either end of the pendulum we could do zero of anything and end up getting fed up and not you know with eating for instance if you're you're emotional eating you're going to gain weight and be unwell but then if you're on the other end of the pendulum and you're not eating again you're going to become unwell it's, it's finding the healthy balance in every aspect of our life rather than swinging from one pendulum to the other because you get dizzy just doing that all day long, so of course it's going to affect you, As yeah. you can find the middle ground, which is hard, and as I say, I'm still working on aspects of my life that can find balance, but um, I never realised how important balance was until recently, in the last year, because I would throw myself into work and writing, and to the point where I couldn't even think anymore, or I would not write for two days and then be mad at myself for not writing for two days, whereas I thought, even if you just do a little bit a day, don't Overforce yourself if you want to flow you keep going but if you're you're struggling give yourself a break and that's when you can take these little mind rests like watching a tv program playing a game um but you know with with so many things to distract us in this day and age as well it can be it can be really hard to find the balance but it's it's again you've got to get that self-discipline and force yourself to find that balance because it does make your life flow better and when you're in flow of life you're not hitting any hurdles
0: no, absolutely and so speaking of writing you've got a new book that's uh, coming out yes it brings us on nicely to that um, so yeah tell I us about the book so what's, it, what's it what's all about
1: this because this is something in a way I've taught myself a really valuable lesson just by being able to do it I mean my only qualifications are in theatre I have none others like you know
0: though <laughs> no, I'm the same like, that's exactly all the same. I've got like not many GCSEs it's always it's, it's always fun when you go oh, you went to uni and you go, yeah. And so, what did you do at university? Why well, I did performing arts and you get the, ah, <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay,
0: right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, and was...
1: <laughs> we, we kind of feel, and I think it's a lot of, you know, a lot of this in the um, performing arts kind of area is that it's, you have to kind of keep yourself really strong because it's a really difficult industry to be in. And I knew mm. I, I, I loved writing. As a kid, I used to read and write all the time. I'm useless at maths. I can't even do my times tables at 31. I I don't know numbers. No, I can't. If someone gives me the easiest (laughs) equation, I'm like, uh... And I'll get laughed at. But I'm like, yeah, it's not my forte, it's fine. Um, But (laughs) I remember about five years ago, I wanted to write a book because just to write about what had happened as a kid. But back then, I hadn't done any healing. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know... All I knew was these bad things happened and I was pissed off at the world. That was basically it. And so I was writing down and I, I, I was like, well, this isn't going to be published. This is like a horror story. Like no one wants to read just negative away. <laughs> and by the way, it still sucks at the end. Like that's, that's, that's rubbish. <laughs> and it wasn't until I, so I, I put that to the back burner. I was like, oh, I can't write, I'm not a writer. I've never been to writing school. How could I possibly do that? And I writ it off and carried on with my little reality world and doing whatever I could to find my distractions. And then about two years ago, um, my ex-husband and I went for divorce because he cheated on me and I i was in a really bad place. And I thought, this isn't going to beat me this time because I can, I can see myself spiralling and this is not happening again. And I made that conscious decision that that will not be the end of my story, that I let myself get put into this headspace again. I'm not doing it. So I thought, now's time to write your book. And I'd, I'd started to build things in my life. Like I, just before all of the divorce, I was meditating and learning new things, just reading, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go down this route and try try it again. And I'd started to heal by the time I'd done this start thought, you know, I'll write the book again. And it, I started it, say, I'll say two years ago. And I started writing the chapters and I didn't know how to format a book. I didn't know how to do the chapters to lead into each other whether they needed to lead into each other. I didn't understand. So I'd, I obviously read a lot more books to so try and, if, if you want to be a writer, you read and write a lot. So I would just practice, practice, practice. Um, and I'd get one chapter done, put it to the side. So, for instance, I'd do one about my nephew who passed away, that chapter. Domestic violence, that chapter. And I would just do it in that kind of format. Um, and as I read more and wrote more, I kind of figured out a flow of how I could do it. Um, by no means was it perfect in respect of punctuation, in flow. In, oh, it never in, is. in spelling. <laughs> of course it wasn't. Um, but I just carried on going and I said to myself, I'm going to have this book in instruments. I'm going to walk into a bookshop, bookshop, and I'm going to be able to hold my own book. And I kept that image in my head, which kept me writing and writing because I'm not going to get that unless I do this. So, um, I just carried on. And then I got a agent who liked the story and they helped me kind of edit it together. Um, and fill out the, the bad punctuations. <laughs> then we, they sent it out for me hmm. and I got my publisher and, it was, I was so proud of myself for it because it was one of them things where I sat and I thought, I've done things here that I've managed to change my life around with. And I wanted people to know my real story because people had seen me on like reality TV such as MTV and Celebrity Big Brother. Mm -hmm. And you kind of are shown like, when I did MTV, I was still my young, crazy, I'm going to drink alcohol to fix everything stage. So no one really knew me. And then Celebrity Big Brother, it's 40 minutes a night you know, and you're not really of 24 Mm -hmm. hours a day. You're not really seeing things. But people did notice a change in me from MTV to Slope Brother because that's why I'd been doing the healing on myself. And I wanted to write my real story so people knew what had gone on. But I also wanted to show people that there is a silver lining to every hardship we have. And, in fact, I'm so glad I went through depression. It's not a nice thing to go through, but it showed me what I needed to fix in myself because I didn't want to live till mm-hmm. 80, 90, whatever I'm going to live to. We don't know what's on the corner, but, you know, if that was the case, feeling how I did, there was no point in that. You know, I, I'd I, been placed on this earth, you know, that, to get the sperm and the egg to me is like something like one in something million chances of that particular one becoming you. So I'm here for a reason. And I started to believe and love myself a bit more. Like you you are here for a reason. Stop, Stop doubting yourself with these negative thoughts. And I wanted people to see that, all these bad things we can take something out of that to grow as a person and when you do that you actually start trusting in the hard times because sometimes things that are being taken away from you or moved out of your life is being done for a reason that we just because we cling on to things so much we, we want ownership of something or we want stability in something when we cling to it it might not be for us because our path may be completely different and actually the path It's always going to be beautiful because I do believe in uh, a power. I don't know what it is. I'm not religious, but I believe there is something that's always looking out for you. And I feel like Mm -hmm. when when things were taken, like, for instance, my divorce, that was a really awful time. But actually, when I look back during my marriage, I wasn't happy because I wasn't fulfilling myself or fulfilling my dreams. But what that did is forced me to go and fulfill my dreams. And then from the product of that, I now have a book and I'm starting a second one. And I would never have had that if these things hadn't been taken from me. So it kind of gave me this opportunity to open up and say, actually, I trust in whatever is meant for me will stay, and whatever isn't is because it's leading me somewhere different. And embrace that change. So I embrace the fact that if something's going, something new and something wonderful will, will come in, and, and, which I wouldn't have been able to have if I hadn't have released what was, what was already already there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to ask you your time on um, your reality shows that you've been on, because I was I was actually going to say how much of it do you think is a true reflection on you as a person? Like, I mean, would you say it was? Are you are you I, I, with those shows? I've always wondered. Are you almost encouraged to behave or be portrayed in a certain way, like the producers or whatever that they try and you know they have perhaps they have a, a, um, an imagination of like in terms of an ideal way that you're meant to to look on television, that for them for for the for entertainment, I suppose, for the purposes. Um, I mean, how much of it do you think truly reflected who you I really are? I feel were?
1: like, um, especially for MTV kind of shows, they're young, they have their... It's almost like casting a soap, isn't it? You need the the crazy mm. fun one, the crazy one. There's always like a stereotype that they want because it's going to create the best show. So on that show, they definitely would con- construct a bit of reality. So I'll go over there and talk to this person and the cameras are going to be there. Or if you're going to do this, we're going to film that up there. It, so that was quite constructed. But I, since doing reality TV, I kind of feel... It's, there's nothing real or reality about being chucked in a, in a scenario of people you hardly know and living with them with no other communication to the outside world for however long you're not going to be your real self because that's a completely unnatural place to be you know stuck in a confined area with 12 people you've never met in your life um so i i I use the term now reality tv very loosely because it is basically a soap being made they need to make entertainment and if you're going about your real life you get up you have a shower you might do some writing. I mean, if someone come and film my day-to-day and tried to make a reality show out of it, it'd be bloody boring. No-one would tune in because it's real life. I'm doing what real people do to make their life enhanced. Um, so, obviously, in these situations... Celebrity Big Brother was a bit different to MTV, whereas you were just left to your own devices. On MTV, you had producers running around, talking to you, taking you out here, setting up scenarios where they know there's going to be a drama so i would say that's more like an episode mm-hmm. of eastenders um without a script um but so to be brother you were kind of left to your own devices but again like that i feel like that's a more of a real portrayal of people but you're going to have heightened okay. emotions because you're missing your family that you don't get to talk to i was in there for 4 weeks and 4 days and i didn't you didn't get to speak to your family you don't you're just with the people you've met and if if some personalities clash like, luckily i didn't have that problem because i was in year of the woman where everyone was a bit more grown up but if personalities are clashing, there's no way to get out or release. Like, you wouldn't, in real life, if you if you had an awful neighbour that was, like, shouting at you and being nasty all the time, you're just not going to talk to the neighbour, you know? Whereas in that house, you're kind mm-hmm. of stuck and you have to. You're living in the same bedroom. Like, you have no choice. So, yes, yeah. it's reality, <clears throat> but I just don't think there's anything real about it because there's no real circumstances in it because that's never going to happen. You're not going to be stuck in a house with 12 people you don't know.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And is it, when you when you did the MTV show, was it, obviously you had, like, I imagine it was, like, lots of spotlight. you know, you sort of became a celebrity in your own right at that point because you were very well known. Um, was it really hard to kind of deal with that because perhaps people that would meet you thought you were portrayed in a certain way? Was it hard to kind of go from the MTV version of you and then kind of start simmer out into reality as well, that people thought that yeah, that was well, you?
1: that kind of got me a bit lost as well because... I was then trying to play up to a person that I thought I was supposed to be. Bearing in mind I didn't know who I Mm -hmm. was myself at this point when I was doing them shows, that was the drunk Jess trying to get herself, you know, (laughs) um, fun and validity. Validity. Why can't I speak today? (laughs) Yeah, I know. We know know, on the same page, don't worry. Um, (laughs) By going out being drunk and having fun and being stupid because people thought it was funny. So I was like, oh okay, this is who I am, and so I'm gonna play up to this crazy glamour model crazy person because this is mm-hmm. giving me vid- validation. <laughs> there we go. This is giving me validation. That's one. Um but again I was doing the unproductive distractions because that was not fixing me as a person. It was making me worse. Um
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I kind of I had a you know, being propelled into the spotlight like that. I used that as a distraction so getting the press I was like oh I'm in the paper today and it kind of gives you this force false, false sense of self because I was mm-hmm. using that as validation that's all that's
0: is it is it hard when obviously obviously when that was a really popular show at the time is it hard when you notice that slowly going away as well at some points though that must be really hard to deal with because you're like wait this I think this is who I'm trying to be and now you're taking it away from me is that really hard to deal with
1: that's it I see it happen all the time to people that come off reality tv shows now they're clutching to stay Mm -hmm. relevant and it's not that you're not relevant it's that you're finding relevance in the wrong places because it's a fickle fickle world the reality if you could be everyone's you know thing that they want to see at that time and then like two months later no one cares so you're clinging on to that because of that you're clinging on to that validation Mm -hmm. and it actually it's not who you are and it's not helpful. And you see people completely lose their souls by trying to hold on to a fame because that's what they've clung to is who they are. Um, but that's why I took a step back from it in the end. Like after I big brother, I tried to do a few more shows and then I just was like, do you know what, this is dangerous for my health. It, by this point, I'd started to work on myself and do my meditation to figure out who I really was. I completely stepped back from it because I wasn't finding the positive validation in the reality i was finding the superficial Mm that probably quite damaging um i was acting in ways that i've that i wouldn't act act out in in public to get press and it was kind of this hole where you can kind of get stuck and if if you get stuck too much in that you mean you see it all the time if in reality tv people getting really bad depression we've had lots of suicides um And it can be quite a dangerous game because let's be honest, the press, which, yes, can help me in some ways. Like there's some really positive press with the book. That's what I'm after now to help other people, because if Mm. my story can help other people, that gives me my validation because I've lived through it. And therefore, I feel like I've done something to help someone else rather than just having this selfish, superficial um, validation. I'm getting it from a source of actually, do you know what? You can do this. And I want people to be able to feel like that as well. And that makes me feel happier inside. Like, even with my mum, she suffers quite... She can suffer from depression and mood swings and go crazy sometimes. And I can sit her down and say, Mum, you've seen this change in me. Let's talk how we can do it for you and how we can react differently to certain situations that aren't going to make you just go... My mum's blind as well, so she struggles with that. But I try to find ways that she can change her patterns... And I feel like that's, that's the, uh, a helpful source of validation for yourself because you're also helping others. And it's not coming from a place mm-hmm. of me being like, oh, selfish, as in, like, oh, I'm doing this because it's making me feel good. Yes, helping others makes you feel good. I think with anyone that has actually helped someone, it makes you feel good, but it's actually changing the world because the more people that are feeling good about themselves, the better everyone's going to feel as a whole community.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you talk about the press as well. It's, it's nice that you're getting positive stuff at the minute with, with the book as well, but you, there also is the negative side of it. I mean, you look at Caroline Flack, for example, who, um, such a sad story, because she seemed like such a bubbly person and you know, a, a person that everyone would want to met be around. i her
1: a few times, and she's a really, yeah. really lovely person. Um, mm-hmm. And just, yeah, beautiful smile. Um, just a really mm-hmm. nice... I remember I did... Um, I went on to Love Island to do the uh, panel one day on the first series, and I met Caroline, and I was just really nervous. It was right. my first live TV um, thing since I'd been on MTV, and I was really terrified. And she made me feel so calm and so welcome, and she was just a really great, great person. And this is what I meant to say actually about the press: you can you can have your positives, but once you get caught in that fame game of the validation through it, mm-hmm. um, it kind of becomes like they, they feed off it they want to t- t- tear someone down if someone's doing well they want to rip you and tear you down so if you mm-hmm. you've, if you've gone onto the path of that you've got to be very very strong because even the strongest of people it can tear you down like for some reason the world has gone into this the media world anyway have gone into this place where they just love to tear people apart And I do do blame social media slightly for it, because what's happened is it's given people... It's acceptable to talk about people in in these certain ways and, and tear people down, because the media are doing it. So why can't people do it on social media? They'll just be like, oh, yeah, look, and then just roll with it. And people are forgetting people are humans. We're all going through the same stuff. People kind of separate, oh, if you've been on TV and you're going in the paper, that's your fault. You open yourself up to it. Well, no, actually, why? <laughs> this is the one thing that always baffles me when people say you're opening yourself up to it. No, what the main problem here is why you feel the need to be so disgusting and awful to another human being. That's what needs to be addressed. Not the fact that someone's mm-hmm. opened up themselves to go on the TV for your entertainment. This doesn't mean you rip them to shreds to by their looks. To me, that baffles me. I, don't, I will never understand how people can hurt go out their way to want to hurt people but I guess it's from a state of trying to find their own validation because they're unhappy because happy people don't hurt other people
0: yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that. We had um, Rebecca Adlington on who, um, you know, she's won the gold medals. She was in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And she was saying it just it got to a point where she, where she got to a certain point where she was in the limelight and she just started getting all these horrible messages about her appearance or anything like that. And, it, you know, and just like trolls just like coming at her right, left and centre. And it was just like she was just so confused because she was just like, what have I done? Where's this all coming from? I don't understand what that's got to do with my swimming or who I am as a person. And people just felt like, you know, it was great that she won the gold medals. We were all proud of her and we kind of put people up on a pedestal in a way. We're happy to bring them up, but then only if we can tear them back down again. And you know, and you know, it's really interesting that that people feel the need to do that. But I don't know if it's just because some people just are very um they're not content in their own lives and, you know, they see people on television and you know, and no matter how much their life is sad and it might suck. The one thing they do have is a phone, and they and they're like, right. I have a phone. I can just see who's on my Twitter feed or who's in, you know, and just be blah blah blah, and just go give them whatever. I don't think there's even a target for some people. Um, that I think they just whoever they can see at a certain point, they feel I'm going to rip yeah, into that and person. And it's sad. Today. It's
1: really really sad because they don't realise the damage they can do to other people. Just you know, the mm. the age old saying, um, blowing out someone else's candle is not going to make yours any brighter. And for some reason, people think it does. They think, oh, if I'm, you know, I'm going to be nasty to this person because it's going to make me feel better. But actually, it doesn't. Negativity and nasty words only manifest in yourself. And they don't realise they're just mm-hmm. making themselves have this whole spiral of their of their own by being so spiteful. Because I know in the past, if when yeah. I've been younger and I've been hurting and I've said something nasty, actually, I don't feel good about it. I would have never gone online and done right. it and hurt someone. But if, you know, have talked about someone... And then I actually feel quite guilty about it afterwards. It doesn't make me feel good about myself, and uh, I, in fact, I read mm-hmm. a book called *The Judgment Detox* by Gabrielle Bernstein, and I read that just as I was leaving my ex-husband, and that was probably one of the most eye-opening books that I'd ever, I'd ever read because it was talking about not only are we in judgment of other people, but we're in judgment of ourselves. So if you can try and catch yourself, and we still do it daily, we'll look at something and be like, "Oh, that haircut," or oh, "Oh," and you, you feel it. But when you can stop yourself from thinking them, actually, life feels a bit nicer. Like, taking out them negative judgments, yeah. you're kind of taking it away from yourself as well because we don't realise how much we actually judge our own selves each day. And that mm-hmm. book really helped me to not judge my ex-husband for the for the cheating. I, I sat there and I wrote down my judgments. There's a, there's a whole section of it where you kind of are interactive with the book. And it really was so helpful and I can't suggest if anyone's a troll and they're really not liking their life and listening to this read that book because you will understand how it can affect you doing things that we do each day but we don't even realize we're doing it with the chatter in our head the judgments upon others which actually reflect back to ourselves and when you can when you can stop yourself from doing those things life does take a brighter turn
0: yeah and I, th- I think people that are online is is either one of two reasons. I mean, the first reason is they have got a mental health problem, and you know that that needs to be taken seriously and and addressed. Then, secondly, it's just you just get sad people, and you know I I I don't think you ever meet anyone that's doing really well, has a great life, great job, doing really successful, and you go, yeah, things are going really well at the minute. But you know what I really like doing? I like going on Twitter and giving celebrity shit. Like no one's no one happy or successful does that. And I I always say
1: like there's so many of them, and it baffles me because I'm like. None of my friends would behave in that manner because I would think they were crazy. I'd be if someone said, "Oh, look what I just written on this person's Twitter." I'd be like, "Delete that now! You're you're crazy!" Like, why would you? Do-? I wouldn't even be able to be friends with someone yeah. like that because I'd be so baffled of, of their behaviour that I wouldn't want that kind of energy around me. So it does baffle me to how many there actually are that behave in this manner. But that's why I can only put it down to his low self esteem on their part and something that they need to heal or fix because their life is not how they want it to be, but they don't know how to fix it. So actually, it's probably a place where we should feel a bit sad for someone that has to do that because I, I don't know anyone that would do that.
0: Yeah. And I, am I right in thinking that obviously you had a... Um, you have sort of dating Charlie Sheen for a while and you had quite and a lot know, of Yeah, I never dated Charlie Sheen. For a while. This is such
1: a funny story. So the press went wild with it, but yeah. I, don't, I know him. He's a friend. We never, ever dated We'd literally just oh, okay. not in any way, shape or form have we ever dated. But the press was like, we had a picture together like this and he put it up saying, oh, thanks Jess for showing me around London, blah, blah, blah. And it was Charlie Sheen's a new girlfriend. Yeah. I was like, um, that's not true. So <laughs> the once they've got something <laughs> okay. and he did this really funny. So he was on Piers Morgan life stories the day after we'd gone and done the, the Jack the Ripper tour round round Whitechapel. And, um, Piers Morgan, that the press had done front cover story that day that I was his girlfriend and I was like, this is not true. So Piers brought it up <laughs> and Charlie just said, although no, this is one one rumour I would love to be true. So he even told people that it wasn't true, but it just ran for ages and ages and I was like, oh God. And then it's I was just, yeah. getting trolled terribly and he texted me, he was like, you okay? And I was like, I'm fine, but people are nuts. Like I didn't realise how nuts people could be.
0: Yeah, I know you've got a lot of, you have a lot of abuse over that, so yeah, I wondered whether you weren't even dating.
1: So th- this is why it didn't <laughs> okay. really affect me so much, because at first I was a bit like, oh this is ridiculous, but then after a while when you get the spiteful ones, you're like, oh hold on, but then is it, you've got to know yourself, and when you know yourself and you know what's true and what's not true, it's really hard for people to actually mm-hmm. hurt you, if if like mm-hmm. you're healed from a certain part of your life, it's very difficult for someone to use that against you, because you're like, yeah, that that's that's cool, that's what happened. You know, what can they do if you're okay with it? People can only really hurt you if you're beginning to not be okay. So maybe that could be a place for us to go, okay, I'm going to heal that part of me now. But yeah, the the, the whole room was just... It went on for ages, went around the globe. Literally all the way to New Zealand. Like, I was getting all these messages. I was having his hardcore female fans saying, he's mine. And I'm like, that's fine. (laughs) He's not my boyfriend. (laughs) But um, yeah, it was a bit much. But in the end, I was just like... I'm not even going to keep defending myself over something that's been taken by the media into something it's not, and it's not true. That's ridiculous. So I'm not going to get upset about yeah. it. My p- true friends and everyone who I know personally knows what went on, and it was they they all kind of find it hilarious because they were like, this is not true. So how is, how is this going global? But once someone gets hold of something, they don't care who they destroy. Like if I was a less stronger person at the time, that could have been really, really awful. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know... You've just you've just got to ignore it and know yourself. And when you know yourself, you can kind of hold hold your your head high and be like, well, if my f- fake news is literally that important to you, that says more about you than it does me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I get exactly what you mean. And I mean, sort of going back to how you've recovered, I guess from from your mental health issues and depression. I'm, I'm, I don't even know if I like the word recovery. I'm not sure if depression ever goes away, but you learn how to to manage it. I don't know if that's how what you feel. Like, sometimes you learn how to... It's almost like... The best way I can describe it is when you're really going through a bad depression, it's almost like this big black, um, black clouds over you, and, like, dangling over you. Um, but once you kind of know how to manage it, you can kind of shrink it and put it away, and it turns into this little sort of bouncy ball where you can just kind of put it in your pocket and forget about for a little while. I don't know if that's a yeah, similar experience Yeah, I kind
1: of feel... I like to say that I have recovered. I like to say I'm healed from that. But I do understand okay. that sometimes... Because them thoughts have been there previously, they are able to pop back. It's yeah. memory. That's how our memories yeah. work. So it can Yeah, pop I know back. that I
0: can quite easily go back into that state if I wanted to, if I wanted to do the bad things yeah. that trigger it. I know that I could easily fall back yeah, into that. Yeah, and
1: I, I feel like I trust in myself and the self-discipline I've given to never go back mm-hmm. there. But I do know that yeah. if I did falter in certain areas, I could fall back there. And I, I t- recently, I was having to move house, and I was starting to get myself in a fluster And I thought, okay, stop, do it differently. So I know mm-hmm. it will be maybe in the background, but it never comes forward enough for me to be worried because I know I stick to these ways of. It's just the the, the knowledge that I can I can use a different thought. I I can't, and it, and in fact, not I'm not saying to suppress or push anything down, but. If it's the same one coming up that I've learnt to deal with, you, you do the thoughts that you have learnt to deal with in, in the first place and you, you can kind of push it back down. So I understand what you mean, like it's a little ball in the back and it, mm-hmm. it can pop yeah. back, but you can just ping it ping it back down.
0: <laughs> yeah, ping it back away. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Um yes, I mean, how's it how's it been did you find writing quite fair you know as well?
1: Definitely. Um I didn't realise how much until to this point really when the book's about to come out because when I spoke about things that had happened in the past, I could do it in a way that I was like, I would just talk as if it was just facts. It, there was no emotion behind mm-hmm. it because I'd learned to just put that away. But when yeah, I wrote it right down, down. Mm-hmm. I cried while I was writing some of the book because it was really pouring out. I had to go back to every emotion and feel it. And once I felt mm-hmm. it and it passed out my body, like we have energies all through our body. We are just a big ball of energy. So when you're holding on to that energy that's not been released, it's stuck. So when I sat down and wrote the book, and I was writing about the things that, the emotional side of the things that had happened, rather than talking about them as facts, it poured out, and I just felt when I mm-hmm. finished that book and put the end, it was like, oh, like I just released pent up energy that I wasn't allowed to talk about, or I've been told to keep quiet, don't tell anyone else about what's going on at home, or you know you'll get taken away, or or, or things like this, or you know you don't want to upset anyone, so keep keep your mouth shut. All that was inside me. But when I wrote it down, it was out of me. And it felt like I just flushed the toilet. (laughs) Like it went vroom, straight out. And um, that was the most disgusting description I could ever (laughs) use.
0: Well, the description I was going to use, you know, we were talking just before we started, we were talking about Aladdin. And it's quite um, poignant, really, when you think Rob Williams is a genie, because obviously he had his mental health problems and depression that suddenly took his life um but I I think of the genie in the lamp and when you talk about that energy and it is like being the genie stuck in the lamp you have all this energy all this kind of expressions that you want to get out there and you come out the lamp and it's just like Ah, yeah you know and and and, and then and at the end when it's to be free to not be a slave to the lamp anymore to be free and just free of that imprisonment of that being in that uh, what was it I think the line in Aladdin is phenomenal cosmic powers but Teeny, edgy living space, the genie, I you know, And that's the, one of the best ways I could describe depression is you kind of, especially if you're keeping it in and you feel like you can't share it. It is just having all this pent up stuff that you want to get out, but just not being able to break free from it. And um, yeah, I, I I was just thinking. I was just thinking of that. So I think you know. I guess when you're able to tell someone for the first time that you are struggling, it is so. You it feel it. Does it. Take you so feel much just of that a release. release,
1: and I think whenever you're kind of holding something in it's it, it's not good for you it's like you know with anything if you if you hold anything in it's going to be bad for you. you you can't you can't sit there and just push things down because it will manifest in different ways anxieties depression and you've got to release and release whatever you can because that way you're, you're healing that that's all part of healing and it can be like I said when I wrote the book parts I was crying with the emotion that I was having to bring up But it felt nice getting it out. It just felt nice to push it out of me.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. When you and I guess it's cheaper than therapy, isn't it? (laughs) To 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 write the book. Um. But yeah, do you ever sort of go back and think? Sometimes. um, I guess in a way, when I was sort of recovering from my depression it was almost I had to almost forgive myself in some ways in terms of your beh- in terms of the beh- I look back at photos when I was clubbing with my mates in Magaluf and like going out at nightclubs had different you know whether it's be drinking i would be like I look like I'm having a whale of a time but like I did not not like that person I didn't like who I was at all I just didn't like me and but do you kind of have to kind of weigh up everything that you you've sort of learning as a as a young person going through that depression and you know we all we all kind of want to not have the depression but we want to keep the things that we learn from it um you, you know is, do you have to have that sort of self-forgiveness i think in
1: self-forgiveness way? is the number one thing you need to do i i really yeah. had to forgive myself for hurting myself it was like i wouldn't have treated mm-hmm. someone i loved how i was treating myself and my body i had no respect for myself i was just drinking i didn't care I didn't care about me yeah. and when I learnt that actually <laughs> that's the number one person if you want to care for others you've got to damn care about yourself first. How are you supposed to help others if you can't help yeah. yourself? I had to sit and sit with some things that had hurt me that I'd done to myself and really forgive myself and I think that is the number one thing on a route to recovery is self-forgiveness and even mm-hmm. if it happens to forgive others but I forgive myself for the things I had to do to survive during a difficult time in my life and when I can say that you're like oh okay actually that wasn't so hard but guilt is one of the most hardest things for a human to carry around and we don't realize we're doing it half the time so we, we need to mm-hmm. we, we're holding guilt on for what we're doing to our own bodies which is the only thing that we're going to be stuck with for the entire life from the minute we, we come out the room to the minute we go in the ground the only person we're ever stuck with is our bodies that's you know, we, 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 I was abusing that, and I, I wasn't taking care of myself, and I had to really forgive myself for some of the choices I'd made. But we also need to understand that you have to do what you can to survive sometimes, and then it, when when you've mm-hmm. done that and you've 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 grown and you've learned, self forgiveness is just the the key. I think when you can really look at yourself and say sorry, yep. you can start growing from yep. a different place and nurture yourself better.
0: That's it, yeah. And with guilt, you're just poisoning yourself, aren't you? You're, you're, you're just going through that, and you know there's there needs to be a point where you know uh, you you know there's different being acknowledging what you've done. And, you know, acknowledgement is is a good thing. Acknowledging that you you screwed up and you have made a mis- mistake or you could have done this better, like that acknowledgement's fine. But holding on to that, I'm not going to let this go. Is just and and just wallow in these things that I've done when I was 20 or 31 now, but um, like yeah so thinking about stuff that i would do when i was 19 20 21 22 whatever just holding on to that sort of self uh guilt is, is, is not i think we have to all.
1: remember like that was a time a, a piece of us in a time that is not a piece of us now so we can all look mm-hmm. back and think oh i'm embarrassed I'm embarrassed like that but it's just a fragment in time nothing is real nor you know people may have the way you see yourself people may see you completely different in that circumstance so it's just a fragment in time in our minds but actually it's no it's gone there's nothing you can do about it the only thing that is real is the present right now and we all have different visions of the same thing depending on where you're from what Mm -hmm. your culture is there's so many different scenarios where our reality is completely different to someone else's. My reality will be different to my mum's reality, to yours. You know, we all have different realities. So something we hold on to, someone else might not have even thought to to Scooby's about, and we hold on to it because we mm-hmm. try to punish ourselves. But actually, it's just a fragment in time that is gone. It's no longer something that's mm-hmm. ours. It's that we don't we don't belong to it. It doesn't belong to us. The only moment that matters is is the now, and when you can take the now and and do the things in that moment that you know are progressive it will carry on going that way and I I think we all get so caught up in the past but it's gone you can never get it back you can never go back there you can maybe watch a Mm -hmm. video if you want to but you know these these (laughs) things are gone they're no longer us I mean I wouldn't if people met me 10 years ago to now I'm a completely different human being and in fact one thing that that was lovely to here of science was that every seven years our our cells will renew like our, our bodies are renewing every day but in seven years your whole entire body is a different set of cells it was be- from the seven years previous to that so technically we're completely new people because we've grown and and where where your mind is working on your cells if you're if you're thinking positive thoughts your your cells are becoming more positive you're getting better health because you're thinking mm-hmm. different thoughts and i mean there's a guy called dr joe dispenser i don't know if you've heard of him yes He's. I think he's phenomenal, Mm -hmm. and I'm actually reading a book of his at the moment, it's up there, called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, and it it talks about how our our thoughts can literally change our makeup, like the whole of our body can be changed by our thoughts, and at first I thought, what on earth is he talking about, but then I realised what he meant, because... You know, if you're constantly negative... I mean, I was ill all the time. When I was depressed, I was always sick. I had a cold every mm-hmm. every other week. I was always unwell or hurting myself or something negative. When I pulled myself out of that, I have never been sick because I, I, I'm, I'm pulling the good energy and I'm unblocking things. And if yeah. we're blocked, stress is the, one of the number one killers, like heart disease, mm-hmm. strokes, heart attacks. Stress is... Will change your hair color and that's just thoughts stress is just thoughts so mm-hmm. if, if if that's happening we've got to remember that we can we have the power our minds are so powerful and it's something i never really realized until about a year ago the power of our own minds and it's pretty special
0: yeah no absolutely and and just talking about that now there how are you doing now you're doing great now i mean what's <laughs> going on with you now you're doing you feeling, feeling great? great yeah
1: i've I just practice it every day. I meditate every day. I I found new things that helped the inner jest and the inner jest then projected an outer jest that was loving life, basically. And as I say, there's still days I think, oh God, and that little ball can pop out and I'll be like, not today, I'm going to go and meditate. Mm-hmm. So what I, I feel like mm-hmm. we need to still our minds. I, I do. That's why I meditate so much because it's like a a bath for your brain. We get in the shower to wash, but when do we ever get yeah. to completely cleanse our own brains? because we have that constant chatter in the back of our minds. We all have that little voice that doesn't shut up. When you meditate, you can get rid of that, and it's just that cleanse. So I make sure I do that every day, because that puts me in such a better headspace. Um, I like to go out Mm -hmm. for walks and runs, and I I like to keep writing. And I kind of found who I am without the influence of outside people telling me who I should be, and I became comfortable in myself. And once I did that, my life started to really change around. So I feel good now.
0: Brilliant and I'm really looking forward to reading your new book um and yeah are you any other plans are you gonna continue writing or are you looking to get into acting yeah, or anything so, like that um, at the
1: minute acting i've been I did a couple of films last last couple of years, um, one's been delayed because of covid it hasn't come out yet um and i've had i've got three auditions and i nailed them all got the parts and all the productions have been pushed back to january Amazing. so that's that's hopefully in the future so i'm not going to i i mean that could be like oh you know covid ruined that again but no all it's done is meant that this year now i can keep writing my second book which i'm on chapter 5 now um my second book which Brilliant. is a self-help type book um and just tools that i've used and i wanted to share with people And then that means I can get that done quicker. And then when COVID goes away and I can get back to filming, I've got all that to look forward to. So actually, I've just seen it as it's just given me a bit of an opportunity to do this before I go back doing what I also love in acting. So I feel really positive about it all.
0: That's amazing. And and just to finish off, Jess, if there's someone listening that, you know, is... Is um, someone that looks up to you and is struggling, going through similar experiences to what you have, that might be really inspired by what you've been saying. What would you, what would your advice be? to I would just them? say,
1: like, try and find find you. Get, make sure you're doing the t- Make sure you do your inner work. Your inner work is what will change your outer world. So, when when you're struggling, you need to go inwards and not look for distractions outwards. You need to meditate. You need to talk to people. Get get these things that are inside you out, and and you will grow. And there's always a light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Amazing. Jess, it's been great talking to you today. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for having
1: me on. It's been lovely.
0: So yeah, really great hearing from um, Jessin Piazzi there. Be sure to check out her new book, um, Silver Linings. It, you know, I'm guess from that episode, you can tell it's, it's going to be just a really honest, um, amazing read for you to, to check out. So, really urge you guys to go out and check out her new book, which is out now, um, Jessin Piazzi, Silver Linings. You know, and I'm sure you know you could check, you should check her out on Twitter as well, which is just us, um, uh, her URL. Um, sort of. Um, uh, Twitter handle is Jess underscore Impiazzi. Um, so be sure to follow her on Twitter, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. You know, um, where our Twitter handle is the uh, Shapes of Stories. So be sure to check us out on Twitter at Shapes of Stories, and check me out on Twitter as well at L Prestige Seven. You can follow me on Instagram at L. Um, Prestige Books. Sorry, that's on Instagram. Instagram, you can follow me on Instagram, which is um, at Prestige Books. You could follow me on Facebook, which is just under Lawrence Prestige. So please check out our stuff on social media. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and be sure to check out Jess's wonderful book. Thank you very much. See you again soon.